Greetings and good day to all of you. Welcome again to the Mind for Life podcast. Thank you for joining with us today. My name is Jeff Bogazic. I will be your host here where we talk about life and how we experience the world around us. Today I'm excited to talk about the topic of fake news. And I'm going to call uh, this podcast Fake News and the Truth. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. But before we get into it, I want to let you know about an exciting new free resource that we have available on our website for you to download. It's a four-week communication skills development program. And as I said, it's available as a free download. One of the things that I believe is a cornerstone for understanding how we experience the world is our communication. See, our communication, our language is, as the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein said, the driver of our thought. We think in language. In fact, think about how you could even think if you didn't have words. We could perceive images, of course, But that lack of words or that lack of signs or symbols which give meaning to what we'd see would be an obstacle to our communication with ourselves and with others. You may have heard about Helen Keller. When she was just 19 months old, an unknown disease left her deaf and blind. She was described at this point in her life as an unruly child, who often lashed out in anger at her inability to communicate and her failure to comprehend the world around her. Her parents were fortunate and able to get Annie Sullivan, a teacher for the blind in Boston at the Perkins School, to tutor her. Annie helped Helen at first to gain self-control, and then she began teaching her using a technique of spelling words into Helen's hand to try to help her connect letters and words with objects in the real world. At first, Helen thought it was a game or something like that, and Helen memorized words but failed to make the connection and understand that the words she was being taught did, in fact, have meaning. Then on April 5th, 1887... Annie took Helen to an old pump house and she put her hand under the stream of water from the water pump and at the same time began spelling the word W-A-T-E-R into her palm, first slowly and then more and more quickly. Here's what Helen later wrote in her autobiography about that moment. As the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled into the other the word water, first slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something 
that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. There were barriers still, it is true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Annie Sullivan described the event in a letter to the matron of her school. She said, The word, coming so close upon the sensation of cold water rushing over her hand, seemed to startle her. She dropped the mug and stood as one transfixed. A new light came into her face. Language is powerful, and it mediates our thinking as well as our relationships with others. So, all of this to say that we're offering a free four-week communication skills development program to you on our website. All you have to do is sign the opt-in form, uh, and you can get it. And I believe it will be a great benefit to you, both personally and in your relationships. And let me just say this. What I've learned about communication has been incredibly beneficial for me and has helped me in my life so much. I might even say that it has revolutionized and even transformed my life in many ways. So I believe communication training and communication skill development can be incredibly beneficial for you, and we've developed uh, an introductory program for you free of charge. Just go to the website mindforlife.org and opt in on the form there, and you can download that. Well, enough of that. Let's move on to the topic today, fake news and truth. There's a lot of talk today about fake news. We have the president tweeting about fake news and calling into question media reporting on subjects maybe he doesn't like. If he doesn't like something, he calls it fake news. Uh, we've also heard a little bit about alternative facts, which calls into question whether the facts are the facts. In other words, are the facts the truth? So this is a topic that I really love because it all comes back to communication. It all comes back to language. It all comes back to a term called rhetoric, which is basically the art of persuasive communication. So let's take a look at what's really happening here. Someone gives out a set of facts or some type of data as a measure of the truth. Well, why do they do this? Usually it's to support some hypothesis that they have made. They give the facts out as evidence of something. Or sometimes they do this to make some type of hypothesis, right? They give the facts out as a basis for making a statement about reality. The facts are there, they say. But it's important to make note of something. The facts are always subject to an interpretation. The facts must be interpreted by a person in order for them to have any meaning. Someone throws a ball from the pitcher's mound to the catcher. It's a fact. But what does it mean? Is it a ball or is it a strike? You see, that is open to interpretation. 
the umpire has to make a call. Now, we might disagree with the umpire if he calls it a ball or if he calls it a strike, but the reality is his interpretation of that ball being thrown is, for all intents and purposes, the reality. His interpretation defines reality. If he says it's a strike, it's a strike. If he says it's a ball, it's a ball. Now, we can disagree with the umpire, but that doesn't change the game, and it doesn't change what, in fact, it is. Now, in Western culture, we have placed a high value on facts and empirical science, and for good reason. So what do we do now to determine a ball or a strike? We try to find some way to quantitatively define it. So the TV puts up a digital square box, right? And the radar gun tracks the ball. And if the ball fits within the box, it's a strike, regardless of what the umpire says. If not, it's a ball. And we as the audience, what? We believe the digital box is the answer. Well, a couple of things about this. Number one, the digital box is itself subjective. Maybe it's determined by a computer program, or maybe it's set by some person. But either way, it is determined by some human being with some potentially subjective interpretation. Uh, The box is so wide and so tall based on some human subjective interpretation. Maybe even it's the rules, right? Two feet wide, three feet tall. In fact, we might say that the digital box is just another human perspective on balls and strikes, no different than the umpire. But see, what happens is the digital box and the metrics and the ball tracking make it look so sophisticated that we have to believe the box's interpretation over the umpire when they disagree, right? So when, uh, what do we say? The ump got it wrong. It must be wrong because the fancy digital box said so, right? What? The facts show it. See, the pitch was outside the box, so it must be a ball. Or the pitch was in the box, and it must be a strike, regardless of what the umpire said. And we forget the truth that the digital box is one interpretation, however objective we may think it is. In the digital box, we begin to trust the machine to make the call. Because from our perspective, in our culture, the machine is never wrong, right? The computer never gets it wrong. But we fail to recognize that the machine was in itself programmed by a human. And sometimes into the the very fabric of the programming comes human bias and human subjective perspectives. Well, the ancient Greeks understood this problem. There was a group of itinerant teachers called the Sophists who went around claiming to be able to teach their students to be virtuous by teaching them how to persuade. The sales pitch for the sophist was, we can teach you to make the weaker argument the stronger one. In other words, 
We can teach you to take the alternative facts and persuade people that you are correct. Socrates and Plato argued against this group, saying that they were just using rhetorical techniques, that they were using flattering words and emotional speeches to persuade audiences, that they weren't really looking for truth. But what they revealed was this dilemma, that all data, all facts are subject to interpretation. And the humans who interpret these facts have biases and many times have ulterior motives. In our Western culture, as I said, we place a high value on facts without recognizing the interpretive aspect. The fact is, the facts presented to you are always given from an interpretive perspective. And what we need to do as an audience is to begin to think critically about this and to ask the question, what is the interpretive bias behind the facts that are being given to us? Because the data is not just simply data in numbers, but it's always given with an interpretation. There's no doubt that people, institutions, governments use facts to try and persuade us. Sometimes they do this with noble motives, and many times they do it unethically. They leave out some facts that maybe doesn't quite fit with their bias, or they word the facts in such a way as to suggest something that may not really be the case. You see, this is the problem with polling. Right? We get a bunch of numbers, but Those numbers are based on the particular ways in which questions are worded. And we may interpret it as one thing when, in fact, it may mean something completely different. There's countless examples of this in politics and also even in our own personal lives. We also need to remember this. Many times the facts are not completely settled. And they only represent some part of the data that is not yet complete. We're going to talk more about that next week. So thanks for listening. This has been the Mind for Life podcast. The transcript for this episode is available on our website, mindforlife.org. When you're online, please give us a visit. We have some resources on the website, book recommendations, as well as the transcripts and links to all of our other podcasts. And don't forget the free communication skills development program. So help us out. Recommend our podcast and blog to your friends. If you enjoyed this uh, podcast, share it on social media. The share links are right there underneath the web player online. If you're listening through iTunes, please give us a review and tell us what you think. You can sign up on our email list on the website for updates and news, and we promise we don't spam you. Thanks again so much for listening, and let me leave you with a final thought for the week. Whenever you hear someone give a fact, ask yourself, what is their interpretive bias? What is the perspective that they're coming from? How are they seeing the facts, and how might they be seeing them differently than you are? 
According to an old baseball story, three of the most senior umpires were together talking about their work and talking about the game they loved. The least senior of the umpires, after taking a drink, looked at the other two and said, Baseball. Nothing but balls and strikes. I call them as I see them. The next umpire in seniority looked at him with a little more experience, thinking he had one up on the guy, and he said, Baseball. Nothing but balls and strikes. I call them as they are. Well, the most senior umpire looked at both of them and said, Baseball, nothing but balls and strikes, and they ain't nothing until I call them. Have a great week.